Hey, good morning, Troy. Quick clap. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Are you doing all right? I feel like the weather makes you a little bit like less energetic. Are you doing all right, though? Is everyone feeling okay? you got to kind of like lead yourself through the dreariness at times. But hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today. And uh, we begin a new conversation today. And uh, I'm so excited about that. Out of the wilderness, we're going to start today. And it's going to be through the book of Numbers, as you heard Pastor Brian say. And I really believe that God's going to speak to us in a powerful way. And uh, even this morning, as I was reviewing some stuff, I'm still picking up new, new things within the text that just speak to me in this season. And how many know we're in a season for such a time as this, like God has a purpose for us and a plan for us in this season, and it's, it's, not, to like, it's not to sit back and to complain and to tell God how bad everything is because he doesn't know. And uh, it's a season of purpose, of faith, a season of taking ground and territory, a season of movement. Can you say amen? And um, hey, if you're joining us uh, for the first time, I almost forgot uh, online, we're so grateful for you. And I want to say hello to our family um, at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Can we show them some love as well? And one more uh, thing I wanted to make you aware of. Last week, I, I, made, uh, I made the announcement. I want, I want to reiterate it. This week, we have a, a preliminary and final site plan hearing with the township of Mullica Hill um, for our expansion here on this particular campus to be able to expand uh, a facility that will be attached to this facility to the north. Um, we received a use variance several months ago. Um, to do the expansion. Now, this is the final details, which would be the final approval from the uh, local municipality. And so I want you to pray about that. If you're a resident of Mulca Hill and you'd like to attend and be on your best behavior. Um, I was getting nervous saying, I'm like, who will show up? You know, no, it's all right. It's okay. If you want to come and just show support, it's important. Um, I've learned something. And it's funny that I'm even mentioning this as we go through the book of Numbers, that, that reports matter. You know, reports matter, and, and sometimes I, I used to have the approach going to local municipalities just to be very low-key, because I don't want it to be a song and dance. I just want to be respectful, professional, very low-key. And then I realized that if we bring no one to speak on the goodness of what God's doing here, but there's one person in the community that has issue, um, it doesn't look very well. And so if you'd like to come and speak about the goodness of what God's doing in and through the life of our family, um, you're more than welcome. If you are not attending, please just pray that God would give us favor through it. I'm very excited about it because um, this expansion of the facility that'll seat 1,800 people and and continue to expand. I believe out of this, God desires our family to reach tens of thousands of people throughout this region and continue to plant locations throughout this area. And I know it seems intimidating to us. Well, at least it did to me. But I know that I serve a big God, that his ways are beyond my ways, that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And I know that with God, nothing is impossible. Can you say amen? And uh, so for me, it's never been, nor will it ever be, about building buildings that ultimately over time deteriorate and just crumble. It's about doing something that is honoring to God and expanding the king kingdom of heaven here on earth. It's about the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ so that people's lives can be forever changed. And uh, how awesome is it that God permits us and allows us to be part of that? And uh, so I'm so excited about that. We're living in an exciting season and, um, and so if you'd like to be part of that, join us this Thursday. It'll be good. Um, 
This, this book that we're going to get ready to go through as a family through the month of August, the book of Numbers, is an interesting book. Um, it's the fourth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We know that Deuteronomy makes up the first five books of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. We refer to that as the Pentateuch, um, written by Moses. But the book of Numbers is fascinating because within it, there are, there are so many, not only stories that seem absolutely wild and crazy, but there are nuances in it that I believe are applicable to us today in so many ways in the society that we live in. In the Hebrew, they would, uh, and I'm, I won't pronounce this right, so don't send me an email, but it would be, um, Bemidbar would be the, the Hebrew pronunciation, which, which actually means in the wilderness. So in the Hebrew, that would essentially be the title of this book, In the Wilderness. Um, and if I were to break this, the book up, I would break it up into two primary um, areas. The first being, at the very beginning, God calls the people of Israel to conduct a census. He does a registration of all the people. It's like the family's getting big. We need to keep it in order. And he does something that's quite fascinating. He breaks the family of God, the people of God, up um, by, by, by clan. And it's very interesting how he does it. And I find this, this overwhelming in, in the thought of it, that God registers over 600,000 troops in this, through this registration, just the men, not counting the women and the children. Scholars would suggest that it's close to 2 million people. But God doesn't just look at a group of 2 million people. He sees everyone by name, every single person by name. He wants to know their name. He wants them to stand under the banner of their family. He wants them to find identity in belonging to the house of God, in a place and a purpose and a fulfillment in belonging to the house of God. It's not just this random numbering or ordering. And as we continue to read, you'll see that the first part of this book really has to do with, with, with organizing the people of God. And it's fascinating because... In this portion of organizing the people of God, he delineates the 12 tribes of Israel. But then something interesting. And if you've belonged to True North for any period of time, you know how often we teach about the tithe. But primarily this principle of God demanding the first or the first belongs to God. Now, we recognize that primarily in our giving, and we give the first of what we receive to the Lord, as the Bible teaches us in the 10th. But it's fascinating because it's not just certain things belong to God that are first. Everything that is first belongs to God in our lives. Now, you don't have to believe that, but it is true. And God permits you and he extends his patience for you to figure out that he will never be second. He's always first. He's just waiting for you to get in alignment with that. And I love this because he's, he's ordering all the tribes. And then he says to Moses and Aaron, but listen, set apart for me this, the descendants of Aaron, which Aaron wasn't part of the 12 tribes. He was the, the representative of the priests. He would actually be the one in the center of the camp and all the other tribes in their proper order. There was tribes that would be to the north, tribes that would be to the, to the south, tribes that would be to the east and to the west. And they had a very detailed and concise order of how they would set up camp, how they would break down camp, and how they would move. But the priestly order was the descendants of Aaron, which would then be kind of moved or established into the Levitical tribe or the Levites, as you will read in the text. But one of the things that I found fascinating about it is it says multiple times, this is what God says to Aaron and to Moses. I want you to hear this because 
It's, it's very interesting. He says in Numbers chapter 3, verse 12, and even he repeats it in verse 45. This is what he says. The Levites are to be the substitute for every firstborn male in the nation of Israel. I don't need all the firstborn males. They can stay in the clans, but the Levites will be the substitutes for them. And then this is what he says. He says, the Levites belong to me. They belong to me because they are the substitute of the firstborn. You know what he's saying? The first is mine. The first is mine. And he's saying they belong to me. Now you're saying, well, what did the Levites do? Well, there were primary three different groups in the Levites, and each one of them had a specific role. The Kohathites, the Gershonites, and the Merizites, or however you pronounce it, but the three individual groups had a and a very specific role as it pertained to setting up the tabernacle and breaking it down. If you were born as a, as a Kohathite, you knew what your, what your life would look like. You didn't have to figure it out. You were part of this family, and this was your role and your function. For 500 years, the Levites lived in this order until they would build the temple of God, a permanent dwelling place. And it's fascinating because God, one of the things that I, 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 has been on my heart recently is, as God doesn't change. And sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we're like, oh, I'm just so grateful that, that God's changed and he's not like that. No, 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 he's the same God. He's the same God. So when God reacts to sin the way he does react to sin, as we read through this portion of scripture, it's not as if God has changed or he has morphed in some way to be a more sensitive God. He's the same God. He's the same God, yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we go through this, I, I want you to be attentive to that. I want you to keep that in your mind. So the first portion of this book would be to order the people. And the second portion, if I were to break it out, would really be to just recount all the dramatic events that would happen during the 40 years after they departed from Mount Sinai. Now, some of you may know the story that, that Moses was called by God out of his out of his place of living for himself, apart from people, apart from purpose. And God says, no, I have a plan for you. And then he began to tell God, well, I have too many issues. I stutter, I have all this. God says, I didn't ask you your issues. I said, I have a plan and a purpose. I want you to know something about God. God knows your insecurities, your problems, your issues before you need to tell him. He already knows. And so when God calls you, don't use that to disqualify you from the calling that God has for you. So God calls Moses and Moses says, I can't. He goes, be quiet. I'm using you. Moses responds to it. God uses him to, to, to pull out, call out the people of Israel out of bondage that they've been in for 400 years. They come out of Egypt. They witness miracle after miracle, plague after plague, which is a demonstration of the hand and the power of God. And after they get called out, they get led down to Mount Sinai. God meets Moses. He gives them the book of the law. And this is really where Numbers begins. This is really where the story begins to unfold. It's an exciting moment because we know that God is calling them out of a place of bondage and into a place of promise. That's, that's it. God's promised them. Have you ever heard this expression, the land flowing with milk and honey? It doesn't mean that that's just pouring out of the clouds, you know? Like the, out of the clouds are just honey and milk just fall from heaven. That's not what it means. Actually, the irony in that is that prior to this moment, through this wilderness period, God actually did that. He dropped manna from heaven, and he had um, the, the nation overrun with quail and meat, and, and for, for 
countless days and nights during their time in the wilderness. But isn't it interesting that when God says, I want to call you to a place of promise, the place of promise requires you to work. <laughs> I've always thought that's strange. It's like, no, wait a second. The wilderness, you just fed us. We didn't do nothing. Clothes didn't wear out. You dropped frosted flakes from heaven. You know, we complained about that. You sent, you know, quail. We grabbed them with our hands. Got so sick of eating meat, then we began to complain. You gave, we didn't have to do a thing. And God says, I have a promised land for you. Now you're thinking the promised land, this is a, man, I just put my feet up. God says, no, if you want what I have promised for you, there's labor required. But there's, great, there's a great harvest in your labor. There's a great harvest in your labor. We're going to get more to that, but I want you to keep that in your mind as well. That which God calls you to, you're part of the equation. You're not just a bystander in it. It's, I talk to Christians sometimes and they're like, I'm just watching God move. No, no, God doesn't just, you can choose to do that. I just want you to know, like, I'm, I'm in a season of my life where I want Christians to pick up a sword. I just want Christians to pick up a sword and say, hey, I'm in the fight. And my, for a long time in my life, I've just watched Christians show up to the fight and just watch. Watch about 10 or 12 people fighting in the spiritual things. So this is great. What's great about it? Watching half of us fight and the other half just kind of be entertained by it. I want the whole family to pick up a sword. I want the whole family to be part of this fight. Imagine if all of us got in the fight. And I'm speaking in a spiritual sense. Imagine if all of us would say, man, I, I choose to place my hope and my trust in Christ and in Christ alone. I'm all in. I'm all in on this. Let's do it. Imagine if that were the case. What God would do and how he would move in this house. This journey that should have only taken two weeks or less than that took over 350 miles and ultimately took 40 years. 40 years. Now, I know some of you are Bible scholars and I know you're like, well, pastor, I know why. This is the thing. I want you to step out of your, the knowledge of knowing the text for a moment and I want you to find your place in humanity in the text. I want you to find your place of where you belong in the text. And as we read through this, we're going to go through one story today as an introduction to the book over the month. And really today is an introduction, so to speak, to, the, to what we're going to be talking through. But I want you to find your place in it. Because this is what we do as church people. We sit in this and like, oh man, this would be great for my cousin. I wish that my mom was here. Where's my kid when I need them? And I wish so-and-so was this. And I'm like, I, I love how we do this. It's always like someone else needs the message. No, no, no. You need the message. I need the message. We all need God to speak to us in this season because it's the only way that we're refined. Listen, if the message is not for you, that means there's no refinement for you. <laughs> there's no development for you. A message is refining, it's, it's, it's changing, it's altering, it's, 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 it shifts gears in you, it changes the way you do things. So if the message isn't for you, there's no change in you. But every time the word of God comes, comes to the people and to the hearts of humanity, it does not return void. It means that it always should bring about change. And the only reason it doesn't bring about change is if we don't permit the message to come into us and change us. And how do we do that often? We say, oh, this is, this is for my spouse. She needs this one. Just redirect that right over there. She needs this. Not me, Pastor. I'm good on this one. Now, let the word speak to you today. Can you say amen? amen. Living in the wilderness, I suppose, could be described as the place between where you were, where you were, and where God wants you to be, right? 
So I'm not where I used to be. Maybe in brokenness and addiction and just apathy and faithless, no purpose apart from the things of God. I'm not where I once was, but I just don't feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I really believe that's what wilderness living looks like. And I've seen in this season more people living in a wilderness season than I've ever seen before in my life. And I believe it's because God has ripped away from many people what was driving them or pushing them, providing temporary purpose for them. He's pulled it away in these last 18 months. And they're left to say, okay, now what? What drives me? What motivates me? Where is my purpose and my fulfillment come from? And then these eternal questions begin to circulate. And people seem to just meander through and just go through the motions. And just day after day, it's like, well, I'm just kind of just hoping God does something. And I want you to know something that God just, God desperately desires to move, but he desires to move through you, meaning he wants to use you. <laughs> He wants to use you as a vessel used by God. Conduit. It means that all that God is and desires to be to the people that are broken and hurting around you, He desires to use you in a unique way. And I often think that for many times, because we can't understand how God is going to use us, we just say that I don't know if He can. No, God can. And He'll figure out the method. Don't you try to figure out the method. Just present yourself as a willing sacrifice to God. Say, God, use me. Use me as a vessel to help other people. Israelites have left captivity of Egypt, led by Moses across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. They received the law from God. And the land that God has promised them, he's leading them to that place. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 8, God says, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you to possess. I am the Lord. Now, up until this moment, um, well, let me give you a little quick background up until chapter 13, and then I'm going to share a sh short story with you in chapter 13 before we go today. But the story begins with it, or the book begins, rather, the book of Numbers, um, in the first several chapters, as I already stated, as ordering. They're or ordering and organizing everyone. They have the second Passover. But it's interesting because as soon as, as, soon as God begins to, to organize the people, they begin to complain. Have you been around people who have complained recently? <laughs> no, I haven't. I don't know any people that have complained. Things are so good, you know. It, this is what the enemy does. Just a little heads up. He doesn't force you to complain. He'll just present to you an option of things to complain about. And if you won't complain about one, he'll give you another one. And if you won't complain about that, he'll give you another one. I just want to let you know that's his bait. He just keeps putting it before you and says, well, you're not going to complain about that. Well, how about this? Complain about that. You're not going to complain about the political environment. Well, how about this? You're going to complain about that? You're going to complain about the economics? How about that? You're going to complain about your kids being far from God? You're going to complain about your marriage? You're going to complain about your business? You're going to complain about your health? You're going to complain about your siblings? You're going to complain about your family? What are you going to... And the enemy keeps presenting it. The fascinating thing about this is the people of God weren't complaining about what they did not have. They were complaining about what they have. So they could not, the wilderness is a barren place. It's a place where whatever you sow, it yields nothing. So you keep sowing in and it gives you nothing in return. It's a wilderness place. 
And so God says, I'm taking you from a wilderness place, a barren place, a fruitless place, to a land flowing with milk and honey. This is what God's saying. I'm taking you to a place that will yield something in your labor. So when you plant a seed, it'll give you a return. So that when you labor and work hard, you will be rewarded for your labor. That's what he's saying, that when I'm, I'm bringing you from a place of, of no fertility, nothing will be yielded of your labor to a place that you will receive something from. And when God declares that over the people, he, he gives them an opportunity to, to understand that in this season right now, there is a dependency upon me. I just need you to see it. But where I'm calling you, you're going to have to work, but for your work, you will be returned. God is literally dropping manna. It is like a flat cake. It says that it would fall with the frost in the morning and, and they would wake up and they would gather some each day and they would, they, would, they would mill it down and make like these little cakes. God literally was feeding them from the sky. An entire nation. And they started to complain. It's like, you know, these frosted flakes, they'd be better with milk, you know? It's like, how many days? Like, they're good, but how many days can you eat them, you know? It's just, it's enough is enough, God. We need, and you know, I love this. Then all of a sudden, you know, those who are on the, you know, what's that diet? You don't eat nothing but meat. And they're just like, it's like keto. They're like, man, God, we need meat. We don't like this manna. We need meat. And you read the, t the, the text, it's so funny, they began to complain. And then God says to Moses, he says, I will give you more meat than you can consume. And you know what? I'm not even going to give it to you for a day or two days or three days or a week or two weeks. I'll give it to you for a month. And he goes, you're, you're just going to be overwhelmed with the amount of meat that I'm going to give you. And I, I want you to see this. Because I think sometimes we misunderstand the humanity of the people that are represented in the text. Moses was the man of God that God called out from hiding to lead the people out of Egypt. He used him in miraculous ways, demonstrating his divine power from heaven to earth, working through Moses. Moses would hear the voice of God, almost speak to God in essence, face to face in a way as a cloud would fall and he would speak to Moses. And yet even at times, Moses would question his ability to accomplish things. Why? It's not, I don't believe, as if Moses questioned his power. It's just Moses couldn't process, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? And I think this is important for us because we, we do this all the time. All right, God, God, I, we sing so, God, I know you can. But we're reacting in such a way, not in our confidence in God can, but we're just like, God, I don't know how. Get out of the way of God and how he chooses to do it and just say, God, I know you can do it, right? <laughs> Moses, Moses says to God, he says, how are you going to feed 600,000 soldiers? 600,000 people. <laughs> this is God's re response. I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I want to read you. This is what God says. Then the Lord says to Moses, has my arm lost its power? <laughs> and he says, and now you will see whether or not my word comes true. And as you read through the text, it says that the Lord sends quail. He sends quail and he doesn't just send a few of them. It says for miles in every direction, there were quail flying around three feet above the ground. Miles around. So the people went out and caught quail all day and throughout the day and the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels of quail. They spread out the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. 
They complained about the manna. Then God gives them quail. And then there's too much quail. We would like some manna. <laughs> Not manna anymore. Now. It's just like they couldn't be grateful for what God had given them. We just need something different. And before you judge them and say, oh, stupid. <laughs> just look at yourself in the season you're in. Where are you in the place of your life right now that you just have lost all sense of gratitude towards God? You've lost gratitude for the car you drove to church in, even if it was smoking on the way in. <laughs> You've lost gratitude for the place that you lay at night. You've lost gratitude for your spouse, the gift from heaven that God's given you. You've lost gratitude for your children, for, for the season that you're in. Nothing's good enough. You wish that you were like your neighbor. You wish you were like the other person. You wish that you didn't have the report you had. It's just, it's just planning, uh, complaining about everything you don't have. You've lost sight of what God has given you. Some of us just need to come back to the place and say, and, and, and lift our eyes and acknowledge, hey, God, I thank you for what you have given me. The only way that you stop complaining is not to just say, stop complaining. It's see what you do have. See what God has blessed you with. See what you have been a recipient of. <laughs> Has my arm lost its power? The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore this promised land called Canaan. He goes, that I'm going to give you. From each of the ancestral tribes sent out one of its leaders. And, when Moses sent to, and then when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and, on the, and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? Is the, how is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So Moses sends out the spies. He does so in a diplomatic way. I think ultimately would become a major mistake for him. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And they reported to Aaron and to Moses and to the entire assembly. And they showed them the fruit of the land. I want you to know something. Here are people who are complaining about what they do have. It's not enough. And then they need something else and then God gives it to them. But they gorge themselves. Then Moses instructs them because God tells Moses to do this. Hey, send these, these leaders into the promised land that I have promised. It's called, the, it's called the promised land because it's been promised to you as the people of God. So it's for you. So it's fascinating to me because Moses is asking them to tell them what does it look like? almost to bring back a report of excitement. All, this, all the issues, all the calamity, but tell us what is ours in the future. Tell us what God has for us. They bring back this fruit. It says it was some of the fruit was so big it took two men to carry it. And they're bringing this back and the people's eyes are probably just, oh my gosh, look at this. <laughs> and then they open their mouth. They said, we went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Here it is. But 
the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw descendants of Anak there. Giants. Now that would have been neat. I'm probably thinking Moses and Aaron at a point were probably like, I didn't ask you to tell me what the problems were or the challenges before us. But the words were spoken and all the assembly heard it. But then Caleb, along with Joshua, silenced the people before Moses. Two of the ten. Two of the ten. And said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him says, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it, which is a lie. Which is a lie. It's what they saw in themselves apart from God. And all the people we saw there are of great size. No, that's not what they said. They said, we did see some that were descendants of Anak. But now all the people are giants. And we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. <laughs> and we looked the same to them. Now I want to ask you, I know some of you who have been in church, you've heard this story a million times, but I want to ask you something. Where are you in this story? Because there's three parts. There are those that carry a good report. There are those that carry a negative report. And then there's the assembly. There's the crowd. You need to discern where you are. Because some of you are carriers of negative reports. Some of you are carriers of good reports. And some of you are, are, are not in the first two categories of it all. A matter of fact, you're in the assembly. You have chosen not to carry any report. You are a recipient of it. Some of you are not carriers of report. You are receivers of it. And some of you have chosen to receive not a good report, but a negative one. <laughs> and your life is evidence of that. What report will you receive? What will you receive? What, what will you believe? I want you to know that when God calls you to a place of promise, there will be obstacles before it. Never once in the scriptures does he say that when I call you to a place of promise, I'm going to do away with all the obstacles and the challenges before you. The more we read through the word of God, the more we, acknowledge, the more we recognize something. That God doesn't want to do away with our challenges. He tells us that in this life we will have trouble. But take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. I don't know why, but this has been staring in my heart. Matthew 7, where Jesus talks about the wise man building his house upon the rock. In James chapter 1, he says the exact same thing in a different context, but in a very similar way. Jesus says, a wise man, hear me church, is not one who just hears the word of God. It's not someone who can just quote the word of God. It's not someone with a PhD. It's not someone who speaks Hebrew and Aramaic. It's not someone who, who does who has everything figured out. It's the one who actually trusts God. Trusts Him. Even if you don't know everything, even if you, haven't ha you don't have everything figured out, it's usually those who in their arrogance say to God, God, I got it. But it's those who say, no, I don't have it. I need to place my hope and my trust in Jesus. We don't talk about this much, but there are two million people in that family and they brought back a negative report. I mean, there's, there's powerful stories we're going to go through in the next several weeks, but they bring back this report and it spreads negativity throughout the, throughout the land. And 
people begin to just go through the motions. People are just kind of like, well, I guess we just got to settle in, figure it out. Got any quail left, you know? Hope the manna comes, you know? It's just kind of just going through the motions. And then the word of the Lord comes to, the, to Moses. Every one of you, 20 years old and older, will get what you've received and what you desire. Every one of you will die in the wilderness and you will not step foot into the land that I've promised this generation. Because you choose not to receive that which I give, I will give you what you choose. And if you choose to wander in the wilderness, that which would have only taken you two weeks, I will allow you to walk around in circles for 40 years, wandering in the wilderness and never step foot into the promised land. Moses would not step into the promised land as well. So every single person who was 20 years, I, be, I bet you the people that made the cutoff at 19 were like, woo! <laughs> kind of like, you know, the only two, the only two, the only two. This is, this is where you need to understand the power of being a carrier of a report. This is, this is where you need to understand the power of being a carrier of a good report. Because the only two, with exception to the entire nation, were Joshua and Caleb. And can I tell you something? They weren't part of the assembly. You know what that means? They weren't recipients of it. They were carriers of a good report from God. They're carriers of it. And you know what that just means more than anything else? My, my trust, my hope, and my faith, it's not in government. It's not in, it's not in, it's, it's not in what man can produce. It's not in my intellect. It's not in science. And though none of those things are bad, it's, it's not in that. My ultimate hope, my faith, and my trust I believe my protection, my provision, my future, all of that. It comes from one place. And God, God allows us, he says, listen, a wise man builds his house upon the rock. Well, what does that look like, God? And Jesus delineates, he says, a wise man is one who hears my words and does them and does them. So when blessing reigns in your life, or trials and tribulation, regard everything that the world throws at you, at the end of it all, you're still standing. You're still standing. And it's not because of what you've done, but it's because of the finished work of Jesus. And you've chosen to say, I choose to place my hope and my trust in Him and in Him alone. Listen, we live in a, in a nation today that is telling us that our feelings, our feelings, because they're so real to us, are the things that will lead us to a place of truth. I want you to know something as believers in Jesus Christ that is the complete opposite of what we're instructed to do. And I have to tell you something. Sometimes I'm like, man, I feel like, and I have to go back to the Word of God, and I have to do what the Apostle Paul says, to take every thought and hold it captive to the obedience of Christ and say, is this of the world or is this from God? And if it's from God, I will follow it. If it's from the world, I will discard it. He leads us into greater truth and do a better tomorrow. Let me pray for you. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that, that you lead us to a place of greater hope, that you lead us to a better tomorrow. Father, I know that there's people here today that are maybe feel like they're in a wilderness season. And Father, before we, we go as a family today, Man, if you're here today, let me ask you just directly. Maybe you're here today and you know you're not walking with Jesus.
that you've never surrendered your life to Him. I have to tell you that the greatest place of purpose and fulfillment is to walk with Jesus. And I need to tell you right off the bat, that's, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about being driven by guilt and obligation, feeling like I have to. Once you understand the love that God has for you, you'll never feel driven by guilt and driven by obligation. It comes with this overwhelming sense of appreciation and gratitude saying, my gosh, I have the ability to worship God. I have the ability to honor Him. I have the ability to represent Him, even in my brokenness and in my shortcomings. God chooses me to use me. Salvation comes through the confession of one's mouth and through the belief of one's heart. The Bible says that sin separates us from the Father, that our wrongdoing, our choice separates us from the Father. The scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous, not even one. But it teaches us that Jesus has made a way, that sin must be paid for. And the only way that you can stand in the presence of a holy and a perfect God as if you had no sin. But the scripture teaches us that humanity is plagued with this sickness and disease. But Jesus comes, and he doesn't just come to condemn. Scripture teaches us that the Father sends Christ not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to save us from ourselves, to become sin for us, to take our place so we could take his place. This divine exchange that God extends to humanity. And every single Sunday when we gather and throughout the week in our cruise, people are choosing Jesus, saying, I choose to place my hope and my trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And so maybe you're here today, joining us online or here present today in our service and you know that you need Jesus. I'd love to lead you in a prayer, a simple prayer, but a significant one, a prayer that we say a prayer of salvation. The Bible instructs us that we must be born again. What does that mean? It might sound strange to you, but it's not strange. It means that your spirit must be born alive, must come alive, must have life. The scripture teaches us that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, the Bible says we will be saved. What does that mean? It means we become a child of God, that the promises of the word are ours. It means that we are the head and not the tail, that we are sons and daughters of the most high God. There's something powerful in this. The scripture teaches us that the same power that raised Christ from the grave now will abide and dwell and live within you. <laughs> so come on, if you're here today and you're ready to receive Jesus, I'd love for you to say this prayer with me. You're not going to say it alone. We're all going to say it together. So come on, family, let's lead people to Jesus. Repeat this after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody that made that decision. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet. Hey, I'm so excited for what God's doing in the family, in your family, in your season right now. And and I don't know about you, but I think what the enemy loves for us to be caught in is the busyness of life. And if we're not busy doing something, then, then we're focused on something else. And sometimes I just think we need to sit in the presence of God, just us and the Holy Spirit. And we just need to be at a place of just gratitude, saying, God, I'm grateful for what you're doing in my life. I'm grateful for how you're using me and continue to use me. Listen, if you said yes to Jesus today, it is by far the greatest decision 
um, that you'll ever make in your life. And as you exit, we have a gift for you um, in the lobby. You're going to see people standing, waving these Bibles. So make sure you go up to them. Um, tell them you made a decision to follow Jesus. They'll give you this Bible. There's information on the inside to help you belong to this family. Um, it's not just a random prayer that you prayed. It's the most significant prayer you've ever declared. Um, and out of that declaration, the Bible says you have a new beginning. It says that the old is gone and the new has come. It means that that sin that you've never told anybody about, that brokenness that you're afraid to share, it doesn't separate you from the presence of God. That everything that you're ashamed of, all of the broken things that you've ever committed, that no longer has power over you. You were once a slave to sin, but you no longer are. There's something so powerful when you say yes to Jesus. I need you to understand this. It's far greater than a simple prayer. It is truly a divine exchange from heaven to earth. You aren't who you used to be. When you exit this building, you're just a different being. You're a different person. You're a child of the Most High God. Now, you might go home and expect your spouse to completely change you. Like, they, nothing changed, you know. <laughs> That's all right. What, has been, what is within you has changed. And you have the power to overcome things. I want to pray for you before you go today. And one of the things I want to start doing, if you're here today and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray for you before you go right now in this moment to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to get into a long teaching, but I believe that salvation is an experience by which the Holy Spirit abides within the believer. But then there is a second encounter in the New Testament that clearly teaches that there is an overflowing giving of the power of the Holy Spirit that we refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, a Pentecostal background, and I know how sometimes church can get crazy and a little bit weird. And I need you to know something about our, our God. He is supernatural. And it means that there is a super power in his display of his divine strength, but it is very natural in the way that we operate with it. And what God's calling this house to, we will not be able to do in our own strength. So why don't you stretch your hands to heaven, even those who want to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to pray a blessing over everyone and for those who want to receive it. By faith, there's nothing crazy, but it's just by faith to receive the, the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to pray in new tongues, to be used by God in a powerful way. Father, I thank you for this family. I thank you for what you've called us to in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you that this is a new season, a new chapter for this family. And Father, we, we give you gratitude for all that you continue to do in us. We thank you for where you brought us, Father. We thank you. Without you, God, we wouldn't be where we are today. So we're grateful for that. So as we go today, God, may we be filled with with faith, filled with strength and filled with courage. Father, those who have represented um, that they want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'd fill people with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Give them the power they need to be a testimony for, to, to carry a testimony for you, to be a leader for you in a dark world. God, give them the hope and the strength and the authority to do all that you've called them to do. Father, go with us as we go today. In your precious and holy name we pray, a faithful church said. Amen. Amen. God bless, guys.